0: Hello, and welcome to Me Reading shit, Me Being Jack Warder. Today I'm going to be reading Chapter 7 of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Without further ado, let's get into it. Chapter 7 A Sudden Shock As I stood there musing over this too perfect triumph of man, the full moon, yellow and gibbous, came up to an overflow of silver light in the northeast. The bright little figure ceased to move about below, a noiseless owl flitted by, and I shivered with the chill of the night. I determined to descend and find where I could sleep. I looked for the building I knew, and the eye traveled along the figure of the white sphinx upon the pedestal of bronze, growing distinct in the light of the rising moon grew brighter. I could soon see the silver birch against it, and there was a tangle of rhododendron bushes, black in the pale light, and there was the little lawn. I looked at the lawn again queer doubt chilled my complacency. No, I said stoutly to myself, that was not the lawn. But it was the lawn, for the white leprous face of the sphinx was towards it. Can you imagine what I felt as this conviction came home to me? But you cannot. The time machine was gone. At once, like a lash across the face, came the possibility of losing my own age, of being left helpless in this strange new world. The bare thought of it was the actual physical sensation. I could feel it grip me at the throat and stop my breathing. In another moment, I was on the passion of fear and running with the great leaping strides down the slope. Once I fell headlong and cut my face, I lost no time in stanching the blood, but I jumped up and ran on, with a warm trickle running down my cheek and chin. All the time I ran, I was saying to myself, they've moved it a little, pushed it under the bushes out of the way. Nevertheless, I ran with all my my might, All the time with certainty that sometimes comes with excessive dread. I knew that such assurance was folly. Knew instinctively that the machine was removed out of my reach. My breath came with pain. I suppose I covered the whole distance from the hill crest to the lawn, two miles perhaps, in ten minutes. And I am not a young man. I cursed aloud as I ran at the confident folly in leaving the machine, wasting good breath thereby. I cried aloud, and none answered. Not a creature seemed to be stirring in that moonlit world. When I reached the lawn, my worst fears were realized. Not a trace of the thing was to be seen. I felt faint and cold when I faced the empty space among the black tangle of bushes. I ran round it furiously, as if the thing that might be hidden in a corner, and then stopped abruptly with my hands clutching my hair. Above me towered the sphinx upon the brawn pedestal, white, shining, leprous in the light of the rising moon. It seemed to smile in mockery of my dismay. I might have consoled myself by imagining the little people had put the mechanism in some shelter for me, had I not felt assured of their physical and intellectual inadequacy. That is what dismayed me, the sense of some hitherto unsuspected power through whose intervention my invention had vanished. Yet, for one thing, I felt assured. Unless some other age had produced its exact duplicate, the machine could not have moved in time. The attachment of the levers, I will show you the method later, prevented anyone from tampering with it in the way when the levers had been removed. It had moved and was hid only in space, but then where could it be? I think I must have had a kind of frenzy. I remember running violently in and out among the moonlit bushes all around the sphinx, startling some white animals that, in the dim light, I took for small deer. I remember too late beating the bushes with my clenched fist until the knuckles were gashed and bleeding from broken twigs, then sobbing and raving in my anguish of mind. I went down to the great building of stone. The big hall was dark, silent, and deserted. I slipped on the uneven floor and fell over one of the malachite tables, almost breaking my shin. I lit a match and went on past the dusty curtains of which I have told you. There I found a great second hall covered with cushions upon which perhaps a score or so of little people were sleeping. I have no doubt that they found my second appearance strange enough, coming suddenly out of the quiet darkness with inarticulate noises and a splutter and flare of match, for they had forgotten about matches. Where is my time machine? I began, bawling like an angry child, laying my hands upon them, shaking them together. It must have been very queer to them. Some laughed, most of them looked sorely frightened. When I saw them standing round me, it came to my head that I was doing a foolish thing, as it was possible for me to do under the circumstances, in trying to revive the sensation of fear. For, reasoning from their daylight behavior, I thought that fear must have been forgotten." Abruptly, I dashed down the match, knocking one of the people over in the chorus, went blundering across the big dining hall again, out under the moonlight. I heard cries of terror and their little feet running and stumbling, this way and that. I do not remember all I did. The moon crept up in the sky. I suppose it was an unexpected nature of my loss that maddened me. I felt hopelessly cut off and crying upon God and fate. I have a memory of a horrible fatigue as the long night of despair wore away, of looking in this impossible place, and that of groping among moonlit ruins and touching strange creatures and black shadows, at last of lying on the ground near the Sphinx and weeping with absolute wretchedness, even anger at the folly of leaving the machine having leaked away with my strength. I had nothing left but misery. Then I slept. And when I woke again, it was a full day, and a couple of sparrows were hopping around me on the turf within arm's reach. I sat up in the freshness of morning, trying to remember how I'd gotten there and why I had such profound sense of desertation and despair. Then things came clear in my mind. With the plain, reasonable daylight, I could look at my circumstances fairly in the face. I saw the wild folly of the frenzy overnight and could reason with myself. Suppose the worst, I said. Suppose the machine altogether lost, perhaps destroyed. It behoves me to be calm and patient, to learn the ways of the people, to get a clear idea of the method of my loss, and by the means of getting materials and tools, so that in the end, perhaps, I may make another. That would be my only hope, a poor hope, perhaps, but better than despair, and after all, it was a beautiful and curious world. But probably the machine had only been taken away. Still, I must be calm and patient, find its hiding place, and recover it by force or cunning. And with that, I scrambled to my feet and looked about me, wondering where I could bathe. I felt weary, stiff, and travel-soiled. The freshness of the morning made me desire an equal freshness. I had exhausted my emotion. Indeed, as I went about my business, I found myself wondering at my intense excitement overnight. I made a careful examination of the ground among the lawn. I wasted some time in futile questionings conveyed, as well as I was able, to such of the little people that came by. They failed to understand my gestures, some were simply stolid. some thought it was a jest and laughed at me. I had the hardest task in the world to keep the hands off the pretty laughing faces. It was a foolish impulse, but the devil begotten of fear and blind anger was ill-curbed and still eager to take advantage of my perplexity. The turf gave better counsel, I found groove ripped in it about midway between the pedestal of the sphinx and the marks where my feet were on arrival. I had struggled with the overturned machine. There were other signs of removal about with queer narrow footsteps like those I could imagine made by a sloth. This directed my closer attention to the pedestal. It was, as I think I have said, of bronze. It was not a mere block, but highly decorated with deep framed panels on either side. I went and rapped at these. The pedestal was hollow. Examining the panels with care, I found them discontinuous with the frames. There were no handles or keyholes, but possibly the panels, if they were doors as I supposed, opened from within. One thing was clear enough to my mind, it took no very great mental effort to infer that my time machine was inside that pedestal. But how it got there was a different problem. I saw the heads of two orange-clad people coming through the bushes and under some blossom-covered apple trees towards me. I turned, smiling to them and beckoned them to me. They came, and then pointing at the bronze pedestal, I tried to imitate my wish to open it. But in my first gesture towards this they behaved very oddly. I don't know how to convey their expression to you. Suppose you were to use a grossly improper gesture to a delicate-minded woman. That's how she would look. They went off as if they had received the last possible insult. I tried a sweet-looking little chap in white next with exactly the same result. Somehow his manner made me feel ashamed of myself, but as you know I wanted the time machine and I tried him once more. As he turned off, like the others did, my temper got the better of me. In three strides, I was after him, had him by the loose part of his robe round his neck, and began dragging him towards the sphinx. Then I saw the horror and repugnance on his face, and all of a sudden I let him go. But I was not beaten yet. I banged with my fist on the bronze panels. I thought I heard a stir inside. To be explicit, I thought I heard the sound of a chuckle. But I have been mistaken. Then I got a big pebble from the river and came and hammered it till it flattened like a coin in the decorations and the verdigris came off in powdery flakes. The delicate little people must have heard me hammering in gusty outbreaks a mile away on either hand, but nothing came of it. I saw a crowd of them upon the slopes looking furtively at me. At last, hot and tired, I sat down and watched the place, but I was too restless to watch long. I'm too occidental for a long vigil. I could work at a problem for years, but wait inactive for 24 hours. That's another matter. I got up after a time and began walking aimlessly through the bushes towards the hill again. Patience, I said to myself. If you want your machine again, you need to leave the Sphinx alone. If they mean to take your machine away, it's a little good you can do wrecking their bronze panels. And if they don't, you'll get it back as soon as you can ask for it. To sit among all the unknown things before a puzzle like that is hopeless that way lies monomania. Face this world, learn its ways, watch it, be careful of too hasty guesses at its meaning. In the end, you will find clues to it all. Then suddenly the humor of the situation came into my mind and thought of the years I had spent in study and toil to get to this future age, now my passion of anxiety to get out of it. I made myself the most complicated and most hopeless trap that a man had ever devised. Although it was at my own expense, I could not help but laugh aloud.